Hi everyone, I'm Jennifer, the host of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai, where we're going to talk about the Japanese concept of Ikigai or living a life of purpose. Here you're going to hear inspirational stories from all different types of people who are finding their own life of purpose. You're going to hear about how they found their Ikigai and what they do every day to live an integrated life. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. Yes, I got my podcast name correct. <laughs> I am your host, Jennifer Shinkai, also correct. I'm on a roll today, and I'm so, so excited to be here with my guest, dialing in from the amazing Japanese Alps, right? Uh, a bit north of that. We're in, we're in Gunma. But up in, up in Minakami, yep. Corey McGowan. Yep. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Great to see you. Yeah, Corey and I were just talking before, like, when did we actually meet? And we found something that we had in common. It's that neither of us could really remember. But I do remember yeah. sitting outside in a cafe mm. and we were talking about coaching as uh, you were going through a transition which we're going to talk about in this call, about your move to the great outdoors, becoming a coach, so moving from central Tokyo. But I just have to read the first line, or maybe a little bit more of your intro. Um, Half adventurer, half transformational coach, half bear dancer, (laughs) half good at maths. Uh, Corey is based in the beautiful mountains of Minakami, Japan, with his wife, Mm -hmm. Nio, and two boys, Tayo and Sky. Um, so he is a Japanese resident before the turn of the millennium. Me too. Do you remember like Y2K? <laughs> yeah. Everyone was so excited about it. Um, yeah. So it's been, I think we've been here for about the same amount of time. And uh, yeah, yeah, whole career in Japan. So very similar there. Mm. And more than half of your life yeah. outside the native home of America. Mm. That's where it changes the UK. Yeah. But basically we, we have fairly yeah. similar paths in that, in that part. Uh, but yeah, after working in education and development, all different levels of management, now he is into ontological coaching. And uh, yeah, it's very exciting for him to move to the mountains from Tokyo. And he's working with leaders and teams and just really helping people to connect with nature, connect with themselves and being like uh, the Minakami uh, tour guide, right? The international ambassador for Minakami um, to help with rural revitalization, um, which we might get into as well, because one of our previous guests, Violet Bachileo, talked about that uh, back in Kochi, Dake. Yeah. Um, is it Kochi? She's, I can't remember. Anyway, um, wherever she is, somewhere <laughs> in a dying village, she is um, she's bringing back life to that. So welcome, Corey. Thank you so much for coming. And for those of you who will be watching this on YouTube, he has got this amazing, well, you you can see, but for the podcast listeners, he's got amazing green background. There's a river flowing. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you are right now? Sure. So uh, we're in Minakami, as you said, which is about 160 kilometers from Tokyo. Quick shot on the Shinkansen to Jomo Kogen Station. And the river that's behind me is the Tonegawa River, which is the second longest river in Japan. And we're about 20 minutes or so from the source of it up in the mountains. So the mountains that you can't see because of the rainy, cloudy day today (laughs) behind us is the uh, Tanigawa Range, which is a range of mountains that separates Guma Prefecture from Niigata Prefecture. Um, So kind of a really really special place to have such easy access to the city, but also to be like quite a wild place. Um, 
Minakami mm. has been part of the non-Japanese community for probably upwards of 40 years because of rivers and the mountains and snowing and you know all this kind of outdoor activity that goes on here. And as you are, you know, half bear dancer, is is your background in the country or is this something that you've come to like as an adult? Uh, I grew up in a pretty rural place and spending a lot of time in the outdoors, spend a lot of time doing adventures. Coming to Japan actually was probably the time that I started to spend the least amount of time doing that compared to before. And so in a lot of ways, it's kind of coming back to that and coming home to Mm. this type of environment yeah where I lived as a kid was not as wild as this but it was pretty rural right we'll talk about maybe bear dancing uh, later on as it comes in but I want to hear a little bit about you know I'm sure to to some people look like wow you know he moved from Tokyo to the countryside or you know big city x to to the countryside what was that kind of journey like for you and your family? Because for many people, when they think about their ikigai, some mm-hmm. is circumstantial and they really want to be in a different environment. Yeah. So what was that like on yeah. either a practical level, but also on that kind of dreaming level? What, what was that like? It was and actually still is kind of surprising that it happened the way that it did or that it happened at all, really. I mean, we were in Tokyo for 15 years really well established there. Uh, My wife is Japanese. She's originally from Chiba, but is just very much uh, an urban focused person and has been for most of her life. So it wasn't predictable in a lot of ways. Mm. So this is not like a U-turn for your family, right? Which many people like go back in Japan, like go back to their hometown or? Nope, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we, my wife and I met basically when she was living in Kitasanju and we stayed in Kitasanju basically the whole the whole time until we moved here so yeah it was a it was a big change but we had been coming out here because a friend of ours let us borrow their country home here so we've been coming out for a couple of years and it was literally like me out for a sunday run thinking wait a minute i could live here <laughs> and coming home and calling my wife outside to the deck and saying i needed to have a chat with her and being amazed that she didn't immediately scream at me and say, no, you're crazy. She kind of considered it. And some of the key considerations were that I would be able to commute to my work in Tokyo. So there was maintaining that stability. And then there was the fact that our boys were still kind of young enough that they weren't like so attached to their friend Mm. community in Tokyo that it would be hard for them to be separated. Um, so it was kind of these, these combination of things that made it kind of practical. Yeah. My wife is very fiscally minded as well, thank God, because I'm not. <laughs> and just the, the, how the economics of it would work, we thought looked, looked good also. So um, yeah, it was kind of not predictable, but in some ways things fell into place and in all kind of the right ways. And what was the kind of timeline from that? Like first the run, you know, when you went, hang on, maybe Mm. this can happen. And having that conversation to like, you know, keys to the door full time. I want to say that it was like fall, like Mm -hmm. maybe late summer, early fall that I first had that conversation. And then it was like conversations with my work and all this kind of thing. And then everything had to line up with the boys' school year. So it was that following spring. So it was probably six to eight months. That's pretty fast, though. 
Yeah, for me, that's pretty slow. Okay. <laughs> Everything's relative. Yeah, like I'm not, I'm not known for kind of much long-term planning. But yeah, it was like from the idea to it really happening did thing. And again, like there was just a lot that kind of needed to fall into place in the way that it did. Um, oh, but maybe, you know, with the school year, right, that actually works in your favor because it gives that gives that rhythm into it's mm-hmm. better to do it at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So we need to be moving in March, you know, in March yeah. so that they can get yeah. into the area and move move in April. Yeah. So sometimes those yeah. external limitations can actually support us in, in making changes as well. Yeah. 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 Because I'm sure. sure there's many uh, listeners who've been like thinking and dreaming for years but maybe mm-hmm. the um the thinking and dreaming versus the actual like practical yeah. conversation to yeah think happen and what's changed for you and your family like with this move yeah yeah on like many different levels as well you know coaching question right that's right that's right yeah i mean geez so much has changed like starting with the boys they went from the school where in each grade there were three or four classes in Tokyo to now like mm-hmm. one class per grade basically so much smaller schools much more kind of intimate environment for them um we got a dog and i'm sure dogs will come up multiple times in this conversation because it's uh, something we have in common but that's been a big really big family change for us Work has certainly changed a lot. I mean, I'm basically my work has changed twice since we moved out here. So that's been a really big change in terms of like being around family. And I asked my older son, Tayo, recently about what it's been like for him to, for me to make this change. And his answer was, I get to kind of see more of what you do and understand it more, which for me was like, wow, cool. Okay great um so kind of more exposure to what my work is and and being around it one of the big motivators for me for moving out here was to have the boys experience community in a different way than tokyo you know we did have a nice group of friends there and a community in that way but it's different than a rural community and uh that's been so it's it's exceeded expectations in so many ways i mean the community here is so generous and, you know, with COVID, it's been tricky because we can't necessarily be with people. Um, in the countryside, it's certainly a bit looser and more relaxed than it is in Tokyo. But still, in terms of knowing that there is community and having people show up as community and us wanting to show up in that way for other people in the community, that's been a really big change as well. Interesting. Where do you um, sort of see your role in that community? And I asked that very specific question because, you know, one of the, the interpretations around Ikigai is about like, where is our role in society and, and who are we in relationship yeah. to, to other people? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've talked many times on this podcast about a researcher in Tokyo, Hasegawa Sensei, and he was doing research that showed um, when and we'll get onto this topic a little bit later, but when Japanese men retired and they were living in the family home with their uh, son, so if they were three generations with the son and the children, then their ikigai went down. If they lived with their daughter and her family, their ikigai kind of stayed, stayed the same. Um, and it was to do with their role as the head of the family. Uh-huh. And their connection to that. And so when the role as the head of the family, when they were living with the son, 
they felt that that was like less connected. Mm. Uh, but with their daughter, they they somehow didn't find their son-in-law mm. to be as uh, mm. <laughs> as much of an affront to to their role wow. as the father of the wow. house. But so that, that I kind of want to get into this whole kind of men and ikigai conversation with you in a moment. Yeah. But in terms of like your role in community and how it's different, um, what's come up for you in the rural yeah. uh, perspective? Well, what's interesting is you know there's community on kind of different layers here, and like one there's just in the neighborhood. And it's like showing up to cut the weeds with the other people in the neighborhood, you know, and like just how mm. much that shows like, yes, I am an active part of this and how much people appreciate it and how that comes back to you. So there's there's that level of just like, yeah, I show up to the stuff that we do together um, because that's what we do in this neighborhood. Right. Um, and then there's the bigger level of like kind of Mina Kami as a community and wanting to. um the, the vision that I'm working with in my head right now is I want it to be a place that my children's children, you know, kind of looking multiple generations out both can and want to live, you know, either live or come back to, to live. Um, mm. Because one of my first memories of having discussions about coming here was at my son's school, the elementary school and the principal there talking about the J curve that happens here which is people moving from Minakami into Tokyo and then coming back, but only coming as far back as Maibashi. So like Tokyo is a bit too much, a bit too intense, but we still want to be in a city where there's opportunity. So we come back as far as like Maibashi or Takasaki, which is still an hour from here. Right. So rather than that, like I want it to be a place that is thriving enough and interesting enough for the kids to want to live in. So what can my actual role in that be? First of all, as a non-Japanese, right? Um, and, you know, part of what I do here is support the town by being what's called a relocation concierge. So they have this cool program when people want to move here. And particularly if they're English speakers, they'll meet with me and I can show them around town and tell them about the community and what, the, what it's been like for our family to move here. So there's that level of it. And then there's this other level of the kind of how do we develop a stronger vision within the members of the community, not necessarily kind of at the Yakuba town office level, but really from people. And so one of the ideas a friend of mine and I are working on is like a summit for junior high school kids in Minakami so that they can talk about what they think the vision is. Because if we're thinking about multiple generations out, but we as the adults are making all the decisions, then how much is that even gonna resonate with what younger people want? So um, getting, getting younger people to talk about, well, if, if Minakami was this kind of place, then you know maybe people, our kids or whatever, would wanna live here. So in some ways, I don't necessarily have a right to do any of this stuff as a as a non-japanese person here but that's also the way i can't not think about it in that way because i love this place so much and i moved my family here and i plan to live the rest of my days here so what can i do to have some small impact on the community why are my guests all so great and always bringing me to tears oh my goodness that's so beautiful like and I just want to ask, this is like a kind of, uh, I, I did a course last week and we talked about like unzipping, like, um, you know, coming out of where we are for the moment and kind of showing our real self. And as you were describing what you were talking about, how much mm. you loved uh, Minakami and um, all of those things about the future, what was happening inside you? 
probably two things. One is like, man, I really, really want to do this. And the other, like, can I really do this? You know, am I, is this, is how much of this is just talk? Can I really follow through on this stuff or is it just aspirational, you know? Yeah. But the, we talked, I think a little bit about this before we started, but one of the big things, one of the, probably the biggest things I've noticed since I've moved, moved to Minakami is this, a sense of coming home. And there's emotion for me coming up as I'm talking about that because it is on an emotional level. Like the first few months that we lived here, I, I do a lot of running and cycling and stuff. And I would just stop somewhere and look at the surroundings and start to cry <laughs> because there was this feeling of like, fuck, you know, I'm, I'm home. Like, and, and man, this is weird. Like I'm from the other side of the planet, but there's this feeling of like, I'm here. Like I'm, I'm back where I'm back where I'm supposed to be. And so that's been really powerful and sometimes confusing, but also like that is definitely what's kind of driving the things that I'm doing right now is like, yes, I'm where I'm back home to where I want to be. And now I can come, come into kind of my full power of being able to do the things that I can do. Oh my God. I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, for anyone, you know, listening, watching that that was just described then, that feeling of being home, the view is so beautiful and you burst into tears, that's Ikigai. It's not something you can put in a Venn diagram, but for me, like that's one of the, the moments of Ikigai when you feel your presence on the planet, you feel your connection yeah. as like a, as a human in this world with a and, and an and just a sense of like really being here and now ken moggy talks about that a lot in mm. his in his book um and you know in japanese and um expression will kind of come mm. out like here and now um yeah beautiful so we have this this very strong like in the moment sensation and then i was not very skillfully kind of trying to direct mm. or to see because when you talked about the junior high school students and that kind of program and, and what your hopes were you know your body language changed your energy totally changed you know the emotional field really shifted again mm. in that moment too and it yeah. was something about you know there's that ikigai feeling when we're dreaming up the future and that you know we don't necessarily have all the pieces uh, we're not everybody that, you know, everything that we need to be right now in order to achieve that. But still, there's something in that, mm. like, imagine. Mm. And, and I love that you're like the generation after this generation, right? My children's <laughs> children. Like, that's a, a great kind of long term mm. Ikigai vision. Yeah. What's come up for you from, from uh, what I, I mentioned then? Just one of the things I feel I might want to point to is like a lot of my work as a coach mm. is willing to be in silence and it doesn't lend itself very well to podcasting. <laughs> so, so I'm yeah, kind of yeah. aware of that as that's my kind of natural way to just kind of be with you and be together in that. And also wanting to, to kind of talk into it and how to express that, like all of this has been of a piece for me personally, kind of, looking at where we're at on the planet, like you mentioned, the, the relationship to that and kind of this growing awareness for me of this, the time of civilizational mm. transformation that we're in right now. And like being such a like, yes to that, like, like whatever it takes to 
do my part in that and not sure what it is, but why I love my work so much and getting to work in work with people in personal transformation and more kind of with groups as well in their transformation. And just like, it feels like so the time we're in and mm. so what's called for and can feel overwhelming and scary as well. But all of that is just really alive for me today and kind of as we have this conversation. Wow. Um, and spring as well, you know, just that's what I love about living here is just like you see this stuff, the, the, the lightness of the green that's coming out, whereas like a week ago, there was nothing on these trees, you know, and it's just like you get to see it in front of you every day. And so how can you not? be aware of it and also know that mm. you're part of it. I want to um, thank you for naming two things. <laughs> One, the artificial nature of a podcast conversation where we can't just like sit in beautiful <laughs> silence with each other as we take in the view and, mm. and let the moment, uh, let the moment be. Although maybe we could, maybe this is a new way to, to run a podcast. So um, think about that for the future to be challenge listeners and challenge uh, myself and my guests to just sit to just be with it that's another way of experiencing ikigai so yeah. note to self there but uh yeah there, there's a mm. there's an edge on it isn't it like do i want to just sit listening to mm. dead space am i going to be like checking is my phone okay is, is the connection gone is it stopped so that's an interesting uh interesting reaction and i wanted to delve a little bit more or well, something you said was really fascinating about like that it's a bit terrifying, like feeling, uh, this is my word and not a word that you said, but I kind of felt like some sort of weight or, or burden of, of our role. And um, I'm thinking about, you know, coaching sessions that I've done when we have used the like Western Venn diagram of Vicky guy, what do you love? What are you good at? Uh, what can you pay for? And what does the world need? And that like, what does the world need yeah. question can really bring up those feelings so can you just talk a little bit about like how how you sit with that or how you process that feeling of like oh my yeah. god what am I gonna do yeah. it's too big or, or or maybe please describe more how that that feeling shows up for you as well your personal experience of it and how you how you deal with it what comes to mind is just my own part of my personal story of what has me where I am in my work right now and that was in you know, I was at Tokyo American Club for a year commuting, and then I got this opportunity to run an outdoor and adventure company here. And it was, in theory, like this ideal job, my first level, C-level position, running a complex organization, having to do with the outdoors, all that. And it fell apart in ways that were kind of traumatic. And there was the, um, the breakdown in that that was required for the breakthrough to be where I am now and get to have the life that I have and get to live the way that I'm living. And so like, I know on a, on a very deep level, like what is involved in transformation and there is some kind of a breakdown. Mm. And so that's part of like knowing where we're at right now is like seeing it's everyone can see it around us and what, what has to happen to move into whatever's next and kind of a sense mm. of urgency to know what my role is and to know how to do it well and how to do it effectively. And also that there's there, a lot of it is there's, there's an allowing and there's a trust that has to happen for that. And so 
kind of balancing mm. all of that. Um, I don't know. Is all that does all that tracking like, like okay? Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's really resonating with with me. Um, what you said about uh, the breakdown to breakthrough. That's a great little quote. I'm sure it'll be on an audiogram on this one. But <laughs> but something about transformation and maybe the changes that you want to make in order to integrate your ikigai to live more with like that icky icky excited all those different feelings um mm. in your heart yeah you might have to like yeah. break some stuff you know and 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 there's lots of challenges that come with that um internally and external uh, factors around it so i think it's good to just remind people that making that type of life transformation yeah um it might be smooth for you and and you know more power to your elbow if it is that's brilliant you know just to kind of slow mm -hmm. and uh, steady yeah. um you know shifts daily in the moment kind of gradually getting to where where you feel is where you want to be right now um but for some other people and and many of my guests on this podcast there's been quite a lot of barriers in the way moving from like what you should be doing to what you actually want to do um, yeah. so around that 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 resonated a lot a lot with mm. me and I think it's really something which doesn't get talked about a lot around mm. the topic of ikigai and I'm I'm really passionate to kind of bring to the surface mm. that in in some cases um yeah you know people are going to be like Corey why are you doing this yeah or like how much what a difficult situation you might have to go through I'm thinking of uh, Matthew Dons, who was a guest previously as well. You know, he talked about um, his cancer diagnosis and how mm. that really shifted how he thought about what was important and what was his purpose here. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, I'm not like wishing difficult situations on anybody in the world, but when the, those big changes can also be catalysts too, right? To why yeah. why am I so stressed out about this? It's because it's not in alignment with how I want to be every day mm. as well can be can be yeah. coming up too. Yeah. I'm also babbling but I, I'm very aware that I have many times foreshadowed that we're going to talk about men and ikigai and we <laughs> haven't talked about it yet so I'm gonna <laughs> shift the conversation a little bit so if I've mm. missed some gems I apologize but I've said about four times we're going to talk about that later we're going to talk mm. about that later it's mm. later now mm. um and the reason I wanted to talk about this so first of all you know, at the big end of coming towards the end of season two, uh, season one of mm. Ikigai with Jennifer Shink, I was like, looking at the diversity of my guests, I was like, no Japanese men. Mm. And I looked around my network and I went, Japanese men who I feel live in their Ikigai, kind of, kind of hard. Mm. Okay. Um, so I asked all my guests to recommend uh, people mm. and I got some great names and, and some people have been on some people are still like kind of in discussion but it was really interesting that many people said oh I can't think of anyone mm. um, and I know that you're doing work with groups of Japanese and uh, non-Japanese uh, men here yeah. living in Japan and I wondered from obviously within your confidentiality clauses mm. and but the sort of trends which are coming up about mm. the idea of ikigai purpose why am i here um what are you noticing and especially uh because this is maybe another level which we don't have to talk about right now you know last time i saw you a couple of weeks ago was at the tell 
mm. um, summit on mental health yeah. and um, just seeing how many men are suffering mm-hmm. with mental health issues yeah. in, in, in the world, <laughs> suicide being, uh, the, you know, the biggest killer of young men. Yeah. Um, and just thinking about, you know, Ikigai for me as well is a very personal decision every day yeah. to still be in the world. I yeah. choose to be here because I know that I have another option mm-hmm. every single day. Mm. I can choose a, I can choose to do something and in my life. That's that's my ability mm. that I have, a privilege that I have. So I'm so obsessed with Ikigai because I want to know there is a reason for me to be here and I'm choosing to be here. Mm. Um, yeah. So there's maybe too many levels there, but perhaps first of all, like, Tell us a little bit about the spaces you're creating and the type of conversations that are happening with the men that um, you're working with anyway. Uh, Yeah, I find there's kind of two angles that I'd like to answer that from. One is in my individual coaching work and what it's like for Japanese men to start to work with a coach for the first time. And pretty much all of my clients have not had experience working with a coach before. Mm. And so it's the amount of time to actually get them to say like, well, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what to do here, right? It is, what is the agenda that you'll bring? What is it that you want to create? And so like something as simple as giving the man an exercise of writing down, I want blank like 10 times with 10 different responses and like how, like how much that moves these people like, wow, I hadn't thought about that, you know? And like, what is it, what is it that I even want as a starting place? And, and then like continuing to have them set the agenda every time we talk was like, well, what, what is it? Like we've set, you've said what you've wanted, you've put it into kind of a project framework. And now what do you need every time? All of that is just a quite an unfamiliar space for Japanese to come, Japanese men and women, but men to be in because it's, it's so hierarchical, right? And there's such a culture of being told what they will do mm. right um and and also like the mm-hmm. right. and what and what you want as yeah, an individual like, isn't that important right so you're going to go to a good school go to university get into the right company and and that's it what you want right yeah so there's that kind of something that's been a really interesting part of the journey and then um the research that i've done through uh, for my men's group is I've been and what will eventually become a podcast are these interviews about men being supported in Japan and for Japanese men like what does it even mean to ask for support and I think that's that's quite an unfamiliar thing for a lot of Japanese men is like to ask for support um is kind of a level of vulnerability and, and what would throw cracks into that whole thing is like what I, I'm not supposed to need support because I'm supposed to know where I'm going next, you know, and I'm supposed to be on this particular track. So I guess in some ways it's not surprising that a lot of the Japanese men that I'm close to are kind of counterculture in Japan. And so I do have men that I talk to that are kind of doing that and can feel quite isolated. So it ends up being a lot of men that have lived overseas and are come and have come back. Um, but that may struggle to integrate. It, um, it tends to be men that live um, 
some of the men that I know live more in rural areas. And that's, that's a little bit easier because you can kind of do your own thing in rural areas. Um, but it can be, I think it can be quite isolating to do this type of counterculture stuff that doesn't fit in. Um, and so it's not necessarily like having, having your own Ikigai is not necessarily something that is kind of supported and, and encouraged. And so I think men need mm. to know more men that are doing that, you know, Japanese men in particular need to be in communities of men that are doing that and have it be supported. Right. So that, that feeling of if someone else is doing it, it kind of gives me permission to also take this step and to, to sort of step, step outside the norm. I, I really love what you've said about that question. Mm. Um, what do you want? Mm. I think it's like the most, there's a couple mm. of like really powerful coaching questions, mm-hmm. which are really always hard to answer. Mm. And we come at them, mm. but yeah, that what mm. do you want is is one of them. My other one is uh, you know, why are you here? Mm-hmm. And why are you really here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Um, and but yeah, what do you want? And it is very hard for many people in that first time to like truly answer when you're working with your clients and, and maybe in the group, what do you notice about how those answers change over time? Well, as I mentioned, um before we started, I've got recency bias because I'm kind of thinking about things that have happened even in conversations today. But one of the Japanese leaders that I'm working with right now is, you know, the way that he started to answer those questions was quite personal. And then he's brought it more into the team setting and kind of talking more about like how he even understands his role as a leader within a team is changing how much of it is around him and what he's supposed to be doing for the team and almost kind of like at the team and realizing, well, wait a minute, like we can, you know, empowering, empowering a team is actually a shared responsibility. I don't have to, I don't have to do it to them. Mm. Right. I don't have to do it to them as empowerment. It's like, what, what can we do together? And so I'm seeing like, as he is allowing himself to kind of reconsider what he does, he's bringing that into his team as well. And, uh, in the, when one in the conversation we had today, literally the expression of like seeing smoke coming out of his ears, because that's kind of the thing that's going on him is like, right, right, you know, like these things that I want to do, but also in consideration of my team, it's it's all of us together. Right. And all, and maybe it's also that yeah. you you realize like all the challenges that it was for like me to say how difficult it was for me to say what do I want? Yeah, my team are also going through that as well. And their inner life and inner world is as complicated and as complex as mine. So, you know, why am I expecting them in their one-on-one with me to, to be open, to be transparent about what they really want out of their career? Because sometimes when we, mm. we talk about what we really want, it's a little bit scandalous and, um, you know, we're afraid of judgment or yeah. rejection. So we just kind yeah. of keep it, um, but I do anyway. I'm very careful with my, my use of we there. I certainly keep some of those things of what I want suppress yeah. them yeah. for, you know, easy life mm-hmm. and uh, social acceptance. So less, less so now, less so now, but uh, still, still a work in progress on it. But um, yeah, I think once you yeah. were able to answer those questions, yeah. honestly, to yourself, yeah. it's first step. So we're coming towards the, um, the end of our time. So I just want to circle back and see, is there any topics you wanted to delve back into or something that I said we were going to talk about and we haven't? 
Yeah, well, I mentioned dogs. And, you know, I think there's, there should always be space in every conversation for dogs. Um, I'm celebrating that you've put out your recent book about Gus, and that's a beautiful thing. And uh, Links in the links below. <laughs> yeah. And I've actually realized, like, so we unfortunately had a tragic loss of our dog a couple months ago. And now have a new puppy in our life, which is great. And I've kind of been going through my own training with my dog, meaning that my dog is training me. So I take him into the mountains because I really want him to be a mountain dog. And every time I realize like he's getting me to kind of slow down because my thing is like charge up to the top of a mountain as fast as you can. And so just pointing to the genius of mm -hmm. dogs and the way that they can be with, you know, I don't think they'd call it ikigai, but just like their way of living and how, how in touch with like everything they are in a way that I think sets really great examples for us. So um, that's just something that's, that's really alive for me right now. And, and uh, it seems mm. more and more people are realizing the importance of that as we've been in isolation so much and, you know, kind of pet ownership has really increased and, and people are seeing that more. So yeah, it's just something that's that's alive for me right now. And curious what that's like. You're a multiple dog owner as well, aren't you? No. No. So. Okay. This is uh no. I've seen you post pictures of dogs. But... Actually, my first hit story uh, from my childhood is called Jenny and the Puppy. And uh, this was only published okay. once on a piece of paper that was left on the dining room table. Um, it was about <laughs> yeah. a little girl called Jenny, who was, I think, six and a half. I can't remember the age. And my parents still have this piece of paper and her sister, who is not in this story. Um, and anyway, Jenny always wanted a puppy. I can tell you the whole thing. Jenny wanted a puppy. Her birthday came. No puppy. Christmas came. Still no puppy. One day, Jenny went out into the fields near her house. Uh, there was a sound in the grass. Suddenly... Not suddenly, but suddenly, a puppy <laughs> appeared. She took it home and was allowed to keep it. The end. Mm. <laughs> I left this story uh, on the table, age, mm. I don't know, five, six, seven. My parents will can correct me on this. Um, 44, still no puppy. <laughs> Your parents didn't get the <laughs> <laughs> Still no puppy, still no puppy. But... Um, you know, David came to me with this poem after I um, published Can't You Have Swim last year. And I was just mm. such an astounding uh, character. And then uh, my friend John, who I have only met online, that sounds really dodgy, but we met in the Search Inside Yourself Leadership Program, you know, the mindfulness mm. program. And he was my mindfulness okay. buddy. Um, he also got a puppy and he would send mm. me pictures of Charlie and Charlie was my model. Um, so it's quite the the international, but mm, I've still not had yes. a puppy and I don't think yeah. I will have a puppy. Maybe, maybe in the future. Mm. Um, yeah, we don't have, mm. we don't have pets. I'm such a city girl now. And I, well, I used mm -hmm. to like, like the freedom to travel without having, you know, to think about who's going to look after the hamster. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, there's something in that. Yeah. Is, is puppy around? Puppy in? Uh, he actually, he just came home. Oh. Um, and he's chewing on some chewy thing right now. Yeah, I thought I could. I can, <laughs> like a little want, to, want me to uh, bring yeah, him out for a, a quick cameo? introduction? Yeah. Hold on, hold on. And one an second. extra special guest, everyone. This is yeah. very exciting. Our first canine, I believe. Yes. Here we go. Oh, my goodness. I saw a little ear. 
Oh, how cute. Wow. What a view. Gonna have to watch the rating of this uh, video now. Whoops. <laughs> Hello, Kylie. He doesn't, he doesn't love being picked up, but this is this is this is Kylie. So cute. Sorry, <laughs> hey, listeners. Hey, Wait for the YouTube hey. to come out to meet oh, Kylie. Okay. Okay. The, the first, the first dog to be included on Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai. That was very nice. I like that being in the moment there. Bring in, bring in our dogs. Don't have one, but there you go. I just have Gus in my background here. So, um, where can people get in touch with you, Corey? How can they connect? Yep. So, um, Corey at adventurepartner.net. So it's adventure-partner.net is my website. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn somewhat, on Instagram somewhat. Um, but for since you have brought up men, I would love any men that are interested in being in community with other men. I'll be launching a program called Kayaki. Uh, Kayaki is a kind of tree okay. like that one right there that will be starting probably in May or June. Uh, and it's a place it's a place to be in community with other men and kind of talking about rooting, growing and expanding in lots of different ways, talking about uh, relationship, work, well-being, all that type of thing, kind of challenging each other into into being accountable and communication and just a lot of stuff that is quite it's it's for men in japan only and that can mm. be quite difficult for men to kind of access that type of group and support within japan so i want to provide that and i'm really excited about getting started so anyone that's interested can reach out to me that sounds amazing thank you and do you have a, a final message for the listeners of ikigai with jennifer shinkai they can take on their way mm -hmm. My message is come to Minakami. I love sharing this place with people. So if you'd like to check it out, please let me know. And I'd love to show you around and share the beauty and wildness and adventure of this place. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today, bringing in the Inaka realness with the, the, the dog and the neighbor and the beautiful views uh, for those of you who are watching on, uh, on YouTube. Uh, for the rest of us, just imagine amazing greens and also actually do check out the links will be in the show notes but do check out Corey's website because he's got in his role as a relocation concierge there's lots of amazing images and videos that you can you can check out as well so even if you're a city person like me you can you can dream and, uh, and make it happen so thank you so much Corey I look forward to seeing you in person next time you're in Tokyo or maybe yeah. I'll head up to Minakami sometime yeah sounds great thanks Jennifer thank you bye-bye Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you found something you could take away from the episode to help you find your own Ikigai and integrate it into your daily life. And I'd love to hear exactly what resonated with you. So pop over to see me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page. You can find the links in the show notes below. And let me know what you thought was the most important takeaway from the podcast today. And sharing is caring. So feel free to share this episode with one of your friends who you think could benefit from hearing about living a life of purpose. Looking forward to see you on the next episode of Ikigai with Jennifer Shinkai.